Good evening. Thank you for coming. I wasn't sure if anybody would. <laughs> uh, because here I'm talking about mindfulness, and everywhere you look, somebody's talking about mindfulness. <laughs> but specifically, what I want to do is to help you to understand what mindfulness is in a way that will help you to cultivate it and to apply it so that you can use it more effectively. And I also want to help you to understand how it is that it can do the things that it does. There's some pretty amazing claims made for mindfulness. And so that's that's my objective this weekend. And I think I think the reason that you're here is because you too have heard so much about mindfulness. It sounds so good. <laughs> you really like to understand it better. And and be able to have more of it and use it more effectively. So, there's a handout where, by the way, it, I wrote up this handout and then I, I emailed it to the printer. And I guess they used a slightly different program when they opened the file. So there's a lot of words clumped together. So uh, tomorrow we're going to get we're going to go back and we'll get a new set made <laughs> where it's a little bit easier to read. <clears throat> so. But I, I provided that as, as a reference and I would encourage you to, uh, to read over it after we finish this evening and uh, over the course of the weekend. Uh, perhaps it will help you to clarify in your mind the questions that you have, make them more specific, so that I can I can respond to those questions and, and give you the information that you need. I've been immersed in this for so long, doing these practices, and then for months, because I'm writing a book for the last few weeks, just because of the preparing this handout. I'm so immersed in it that it's a struggle for me to try to know just exactly what I need to tell you. And that's, that's why I, I really rely on you asking me questions, because your questions are going to tell me what I need to tell you. Okay? So, so that's the plan. Tonight we'll probably uh, mostly just talk about what mindfulness is. Most of the rest of the weekend we'll try to do some uh, a combination of uh, meditation and exercises to just make it more apparent what mindfulness is and how to develop it and how to use it and, and to understand how, how it does what it does. 
Okay, so we'll start off maybe a little bit heavier on the theory side of it uh, tonight. Right. So let's start talking about mindfulness. If you look at this, you'll see the first sentence that I put on here. <clears throat> when the mindfulness of a samurai swordsman fails, he loses his life. And is is something like do martial arts and mindfulness fit together in your mind? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Why? I mean, isn't mindfulness about meditating and being nice and pacifist? And what do martial arts have to do with mindfulness? Focus. Focus and concentration. Focus and concentration. That is, that is definitely part of mindfulness. Also, being able to like move with an opponent, like being able to easily move with them. Mm -hmm. Being able to move with a, the opponent, yeah. So it's probably yes. You have to become very calm inside. Very calm. Yeah. Very still. Yes. Not becoming too emotional you've got to be pretty pretty neutral to to practice martial arts. Yeah. But let's just think about it. I'm, there's probably some people here, I know there's some people here who have trained in martial arts, but you've trained in swords or not, you've trained in martial arts and you know something about it. So you would know so, picture two samurai swordsmen facing each other. Where, what are they looking at? Well, attention to the move of the other, right? Well, the thing is, you just picture him standing there, you know, and which way is this guy going to move? Now, they're really, really well-trained, right? We're not talking amateurs here. So, as soon as the other person begins to move, the person who is observing them on the basis of their training knows what they're going to do and has learned and practiced over and over again an appropriate counter-move. Right? And not only that, but as their opponent is making their attack and as they're making their counter move, what's going to make the difference in the whole process is if one of them makes a slight mistake. Right? That's really what a confrontation in martial arts is about, is recognizing that recognizing when somebody else has slipped and taking advantage of that. So if the person who's attacking does something not quite right, their opponent, in the same way that they knew what the counter-move was for the attack, as soon as they recognize the false move, they'll know exactly what they can do to take advantage of it. And of course, 
if their opponent can recognize what they're doing, their opponent knows how to counter that and it'll move on until eventually somebody makes a mistake that finishes the game. Where is the mindfulness in this, okay? Are either one of these people thinking about what's happening? Yeah. I don't know what you're looking for, mm -hmm. but um, some things that you've talked about before are coming up for me as you're talking about this. One of them is when you talk about unification of the mind, and you talk about all the different people in the boardroom. All the different people, that, yes. Yeah. The, in normal day-to-day -day life, they're all kind of have their own agenda. So all the parts of our mind, all the parts of ourselves, are all kind of doing their own thing, and they think different things are important. And that means that our mind is very dissipated in its power. Yes, it's very divided against itself, yeah. scattered. Yeah, and so it seems to me mindfulness, you know, one of the results of mindfulness is that they're all unified in purpose. Yeah. And so a samurai would be unified in that all the different parts of the samurai swordsman's mind have to be totally on task with what's going on. Nobody, no, no part of that, that samurai swordsman's mind can be engaged in something else or concerned with anything else. No, so that's one part of mindfulness. The, yeah, one part of mindfulness is unification of mind. When we are cultivating mindfulness on the cushion, we're going to have to. We're going to have to do things that lead to the mind becoming unified. There is one thing, though, about somebody standing a few feet away from you with an enormously sharp sword <laughs> that unifies the mind. Okay. So, but it's, it's a very good point. One of the things that, as practitioners, we're going to do is. is is going to want to have all the different parts of our mind functioning harmoniously and cooperatively for the best possible result. Yes? Well, I think about, I mean, I've never done martial arts, but I think about chi, and I interpret chi as energy. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems to me that perhaps what you may be leading us to might have something to do in that in that realm. So that there's that the before you see movement, there is already movement. There is a kind of flow, there's a kind of ten, a, a, an energy tendency that that it when you really get a, you really adept at martial arts, you, you sense movement before you see movement. So it requires acute awareness. It, yes. I'm not really going to get into chi and okay. energy, at least in this part of the discussion. But acute awareness. And, and this is where I'd really like to lead you to. Picture these two swordsmen facing each other. If you want to know where their eyes are directed, they're looking at each other's eyes. They're looking at each other's eyes. They're not looking at each other's sword tips. They're not looking at each other's hands. They're not looking at each other's feet. They're looking at each other's eyes. The reason for that is that if you imagine a person standing 
with a sword. And they were to make a circle. And of course, they get down to the ground, it has to come out there. They make a circle like that, everywhere that they can reach. Where's the center of that circle going to be? About right here, pretty close, very close. By putting their visual focus on their opponent's eyes, their peripheral vision takes in everything, right? And peripheral vision is going to be, in their peripheral vision, they are going to pick up the movements, the beginning of the movements, the progression of the movements, the direction of the movement. I mean, somebody is in this position and starts to go this way, there's a lot of things that they can do along the way, right? If you say focus, peripheral vision can track the whole thing very, very rapidly. Vision is a really good analogy for conscious experience. And the visual focus, like the samurai looking at the opponent's eyes, is like attention. And then, just as there's a peripheral vision that takes in all of this other information, there is a peripheral awareness that takes in all kinds of other information and processes that information very rapidly and in a way that's very different than what attention does. Another thing that you might have heard about martial arts is that a successful martial artist has a state of no mind, which is also a state that in, in Zen meditation is very sought after to achieve the state of no mind. But what does no mind mean in terms of a martial artist? I ask you, were these swordsmen, are they thinking about what's going on? Can they afford to think about what's going on? Can they afford even a single thought? As a matter of fact, in martial arts, a single thought is what costs a person their life. Because when intense attention engages in the process of thinking, it draws the resources of consciousness away from everything else. And it's slow, and it gets stuck in one place. And things happen, and they happen so quickly, attention can't keep up with it. See, and that's, that's the problem that comes. So, what I do want you to do is start thinking in terms of how conscious experience can be understood as consisting of these two parts, attention and peripheral awareness, and how they are, there is an extremely good analogy between attention and peripheral awareness and visual focus and peripheral vision. These can help you to understand what's going on there. So, <coughs> let's talk a little bit about what happens when we lose mindfulness. Anybody, you know, can you recall a circumstance recently where you lost mindfulness? 
chances are that if you think about what happened, you became ext you're extremely focused on something. Your attention zoomed in and became riveted on something. Something somebody said, something that happened, so forth. Whatever that was, you probably started reacting to emotionally and thinking about. When you say that you lost mindfulness, what was there about that situation that involved losing mindfulness? Anybody care to offer a situation that you think is an example of losing mindfulness? For me, yesterday I was uh, cutting some flowers in my in my kitchen, and um, and all of a sudden, a little later, I went I, I went back to the kitchen and thinking, where's the scissors? And I put the scissors in the garage always, and it wasn't there. Mm -hmm. So where did I put it? Where did I put it? And then I looked in the garage, and it was there. And it was there, where you always put it. I had put it there, and I was gone <laughs> when I put it there. Okay, <coughs> so. That would be a situation you might call absent-minded. But I think my mind was elsewhere, so... Yeah, yeah, absent-minded. Yeah. Your mind was yeah. elsewhere. You, you went to the garage, you put the scissors on the hook or wherever it is you keep them. But your mind didn't come along. Mm -hmm. Your mind wasn't uh -huh. there. Okay. Yeah. So, yes. Is that an example of... That would be an example of... of Losing not being of, of one kind of, of not being <coughs> mindful. Yeah, very much so. If you, on another occasion, what happens? You might go to the garage and put the scissors where you usually keep them. You might be thinking about other things or paying attention to other things at the same time. But you have a certain amount of awareness of what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. You're not. The difference is probably this time that you were, whatever it was you were thinking about, you were really focused on. It just took all of your conscious capacity away. So in a sense, even though you were conscious, there's another sense in which you were unconscious. Yeah. Anybody else have an example? Of Without getting too specific, on the home front um, this week, something triggered me, and I went into really emotionally negative anger, resentment, mm -hmm. nasty, going down the rabbit hole. And, and when I was doing it, I mean, there was a point, and I knew I lost my mindfulness, my awareness, and that I need to go meditate. But it was, it's, it was just amazing how spun out I got. It was, I mean, it was like I went to a place which I wouldn't thought I could have. I was just so caught in this, you know, uh, sort of net of emotional negativity. Yeah. It was an extreme example for me. And, <laughs> and were you, you were probably a lot less aware of anything else going on around you? Yeah, what a beautiful day it was. The impact that you were having on other people, mm -hmm. there were other people around. Mm -hmm. 
So, if somebody says something to you and you find it offensive and you react emotionally, you tend to, well, let's say, let's say that this somebody is somebody that is very dear to you. You tend to actually lose awareness that this is somebody dear to you, right? Mm -hmm. You don't talk to them like they are somebody dear to you. <coughs> um, not infrequently, what we're reacting to, we're not really taking a bigger picture into account, or there's other factors that we we haven't even considered might be there. Instead, there's some small part of the event or what's said or what's done that <coughs> that we focus on, and then our emotions come up, and then we're very aware of our emotions, and most of our actions and most of our speech comes from those emotions. Is that? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's not being mindful, right? So, what does it mean to be mindful then? I mean, we have all these nice things that you've heard. Mindfulness means being in the present. Mm-hmm. Right? Has anybody in the room ever heard that before? Mm-hmm. Mindfulness means being in the present. And Does that explain to you what mindfulness is? If you said something I didn't like, and I'm reacting to it, I'm probably very present. <laughs> I'm probably not thinking about yesterday or tomorrow. Right? There's more to it than that. True, mindfulness does have something to do with being in the present. Well, I have this little thing on my refrigerator. <laughs> yes. This mindfulness is uh, being aware uh, of what you're doing, why you're doing it, yes. and what the consequences are going yeah. to be. That's right. That's right. When you're mindful, you are more in touch with what's really going on. You take in more information, you put more things together, you are aware of a larger number of possibilities for how you can respond. And there's something about being self-aware of, as you say, what's, what you're doing, why you're doing it, whether or not it's something you want to do, that gives you much more control over your actions and your emotions than you would otherwise have. Just simply knowing this, rather than, rather than being angry, knowing that you're angry actually gives you a little bit more of an edge. So, 
your conscious experience in any moment, in every moment, you can think of it in terms of having these two parts for it. There is something that is dominating your conscious experience. It's the focus of your attention. You're probably thinking about it. If you're not thinking about it, you're investigating it in some other way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Always, always. There is something that is a, the, the, the focus of your attention, and then there is the, per, the rest of your awareness, the peripheral awareness. And these two different ways of knowing interact with each other in a very important way. When you only have attention, you're enormously limited. If you only have peripheral awareness, you're limited in a completely different way. You know, one of the uses you can have for this is you can take a break, you can all roll one of these up, close one, walk around like this. You know what I mean? It's very much like having attention and no peripheral awareness. You've got visual focus, but no peripheral. I, it would be a fun thing to do if we did that. Do you know what would happen? We'd be bumping into each other, <laughs> tripping over things, spilling cups of tea, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. And that's, that's what it's like when your attention becomes too narrowly focused. It's no peripheral awareness. And, and that's what tends to happen to us most often. I mean, there, there is another direction things can go. Because what attention does is attention, whatever it is that it's singled out, zooms in on, it analyzes it and evaluates it and recognizes it and knows what its relationship is to other things so that you can make decisions about it, know whether it's good for you or bad for you and so forth. So attention, attention, whatever it is you're paying attention to, receives uh, a lot of, it experience, undergoes a lot of processing by your mind, a lot of evaluation, so forth. And that's really important. Peripheral awareness doesn't do that. It just kind of lets everything be there all at once and doesn't analyze it to any great degree. Right? The two of them, so they're very different from each other, but they have very they have very important functions. And if you are without either one of them, you're going to, you're, you're not going to be able to function as well. You're not going to be able to respond to events as well. You need to have both of these kinds of conscious awareness at the same time. Um, and most of the time, what happens is we lose the peripheral awareness and we become too focused. That's, that's our biggest problem. Although, just to have peripheral awareness and not have a focus of attention or not have an effective focus would, would be just as, just as much of a problem. It would be just as detrimental to our successful functioning. But in a totally different way, because they're doing two different things. You follow me? Yes. Um, you don't? So it's more like the meta awareness, the peripheral. The peripheral. peripheral awareness 
there, meta-awareness is actually a very refined form of peripheral awareness. So. And we'll just get ahead of ourselves in the story a little bit here. When you develop mindfulness, you have, you have very good attention and peripheral awareness interacting with each other in an optimal kind of way. But peripheral awareness can be awareness of everything that's around you. It can also be awareness of what's going on inside. And I don't think it takes much thought to realize that for most of us, in, in most of the difficult situations in our life, what's missing is awareness of what's going on in here. Right? That's, so that is introspective awareness. And as you cultivate mindfulness, the epitome of mindfulness is a metacognitive introspective awareness where the mind is watching the mind. Right. And watching the watcher. Well, yeah, the, the mind is the watching the watcher, watching the mind. The mind is doing, the mind is reacting emotionally, the mind is thinking, the mind is, is uh, wanting or not wanting, uh, you know, the mind's doing all these different things. But if you know what the mind is doing, that's, that's that meta-awareness, that's a metacognitive, introspective awareness. That is the most valuable thing that you can cultivate. And so, in this process, that's where, that's where we all eventually want to get to. And that's where every mindfulness practice is trying to lead you to. Okay. So, should we digress on that theme for a moment? I'll just repeat it. <laughs> i just repeat it. Okay. Knowing what is going, what your mind is doing, what's going on in your mind, moment by moment. And now, of course, what you might think right away is, well, I couldn't function in the world. I mean, how could I carry on a conversation, write a letter, drive a car, uh, cook dinner, if all I'm doing is watching my mind? But the thing is, you can use your attention to do all those kinds of things. And if you've cultivated peripheral awareness, and if your peripheral awareness is, has become powerful, then it won't disappear when you focus your attention on doing these things. And if it is introspective, if your peripheral awareness is peripheral awareness of what's going on inside, if it's that introspective awareness, then as uh, Pam's note on the refrigerator door says, you know what's going on in your mind. You know why it's going on. And you know whether or not it's something that's going to serve you to have it continue, whether or not it's consistent with your goals, objectives, values, so on and so forth. That's incredibly powerful. And that's like, that's like having somebody inside there, you know, constantly saying, you don't want to go there, yeah, you want to go there. You know. About your emotions, about your thoughts. Yeah, we... What happens? We get caught up in cycles of thought, and they create moods and 
such a tremendous impact. But we don't know that we're doing it until it's too late. We're already so caught up in it and it's, it's gotten so strong that no matter how hard we try to stop thinking that thought, it keeps coming back. Can you imagine how nice it would be to know as soon as you were starting to think that kind of thought so that you could shut it down before it takes over? So, all, any practice that is a genuine that it, uh, mindfulness practice that is really going to, to make you more mindful than you are, in one way or another, is going to enhance your ability to know what's going on in your own mind. To, to be able to watch the mind as the mind is carrying on its conversation, cooking dinner, driving the car, doing whatever else it is. And I'm sure a lot of you have uh, have practiced with Shenzhen, Shenzhen Young, right? And what is the practice? You notice what's going on in your mind, and then you label it. How many of you have done practices with uh, of a Mahasi style method? What's taught at IMS Spirit Rock and and probably some of the local mindfulness Vipassana teachers. You sit there and put your attention on, on, on the rise and fall of the abdomen, and you try to notice when you're thinking, and you go thinking, thinking, and then thinking stops. Or listening, listening, and listening stops. But what are you doing? You, it is training you to become aware of what's going on in your mind. And that's because that's, that's what you really, that, that, that's the real payoff at the end of mindfulness. But let's get back to ordinary consciousness. Let's, let's get into the from here to there. How do you get from here to there kind of thing? Okay? Where we start off is where we're ordinary people and we have peripheral awareness and we pay attention to things. And first of all, not very much of our peripheral awareness is introspective. Not very much of it. Some of it is. I mean, all of us sometimes have some awareness of what's going on in our minds. But for an ordinary, typical person, not very much, right? Not very much. Just a little bit, just sometimes and rarely when it would be most valuable. But you do have peripheral awareness. And even the peripheral awareness of other things, of the world around you, of your body, things like that, you lose that very often. You forget where you... You, for, you, you don't realize that you put the scissors you, in the garage. You, you lose your keys. You know, all kinds of things happen due to lack of peripheral awareness, lack of awareness of what's going on around you. You go for a hike on a trail, and you start thinking about something, and then you stumble. Or you're talking to somebody, and you step on a snake. That's lack of peripheral awareness. You got too focused. You got too focused. Peripheral awareness went away, 
and something happens. Or you do something and you don't realize what you've done, so on and so forth. So although we've always got attention and peripheral awareness, we far too often tend to lose peripheral awareness. And even when we haven't lost it, we don't have the kind of introspective peripheral awareness that's going to do us the most good. So the very first thing that an ordinary, typical person might like to do to improve that situation is practicing not losing peripheral awareness while you're paying attention to things. One of the reasons that this that we do lose peripheral awareness so often is that you have control over attention. And so you like attention. You use attention, right? Think about think about somebody sitting somewhere by themselves. Or think about yourself. What is a natural tendency? You find something to pay attention to. You exhaust it and you move on to something else to pay attention to. We're kind of wired that way. That this attention attention's good. We like attention. We can control attention. We can direct it wherever we want. Um, peripheral awareness, you don't have any control over peripheral awareness, any direct control. You can you can train peripheral awareness, thank goodness. Otherwise there'd be no point talking tonight. But you don't have the same kind of direct control over it. And so attention gets a lot more of your attention. <laughs> you, you, uh, you neglect peripheral awareness in favor, of, in, in favor of attention. And so for that reason, most of us don't really train ourselves in peripheral awareness. A samurai swordsman does. A samurai swordsman Unfortunately, probably isn't training himself too much in introspective peripheral awareness, but he gets really good at every other kind of peripheral awareness. He has to. His survival depends on it. The whole point of the training is to do that. To, to even to put to take all of the conscious power of the mind and put it into peripheral awareness instead of into attention that's focused on one thing. And that, that's, that's the connection there that you can see between the samurai and, 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 and mindfulness. So, so one reason that, one of the reasons that we lose mindfulness so easy, easily is that we tend to favor attention and use attention rather than peripheral awareness. The other one is that there's only so much capacity for consciousness in a given moment, however you want to think of that. And the more intensely focused you are on some object of attention, the less capacity you have to be conscious of of other things. And so this creates a situation where when something happens that has an impact on you or produces a strong emotional result or reaction, 
that it it takes all of your conscious capacity away from peripheral awareness, including introspective. Right? Now, as I said when I was talking about we tend to neglect peripheral awareness because we can't control it directly, but we can train it, and that's the good thing. There's also a good thing about this. Consciousness is a limited resource, but it too can be increased and can be expanded. And really, you could practice being mindful for the next 10,000 years. If you don't increase power of your consciousness, you're still going to lose mindfulness every time it's most important. So, this is a really important part of developing mindfulness, is becoming more fully conscious. So there is more power of consciousness to go into paying attention to something while simultaneously being aware of other things, most especially your own mind and your emotions and your motivations and so forth. Follow me on that one? So, so this is this is where we want to go with uh, to become mindful. We need to develop skills related to peripheral awareness that most people never cultivate. Some people do. Some people do, not just martial artists. But most people don't. But that's a skill that we can all cultivate. And if we do, we will benefit through increased mindfulness. And the second thing is to increase the conscious power of the mind. And actually, the interesting thing about it as we get into how you go about cultivating mindfulness is that, that as you develop the skill in sustaining peripheral awareness, you're, you will also increase the, the power of consciousness so you're less likely to, to lose it. Um, what time are we going to tonight? Until nine? Would you like a break before we finish up? Probably a good idea. That way you can <laughs> walk around and look through the room. I have a question before we go. When you, when you talk about increasing the power of consciousness, can you be a little bit more precise on that? Well, yes. I, maybe the I, I think the easiest way to understand this is that if you if you have an increased power of consciousness, you are able to be more aware at the same time. You are more focused instead of going one versus the mm-hmm. other. That that is possible. I mean, initially that's not like, ooh, it sounds really nice, but kind of magical or mystical or you know something like that. How do you increase the power of consciousness? But if you think about it, we have varying levels of consciousness all the time. When you're tired, the level of consciousness falls. When when you're in a dangerous situation, the level of conscious awareness rises. Most people have had an experience at some time or another in their life when uh, usually it's when you're in some kind of a life-threatening or potentially life-threatening situation where your mind 
slips into total high gear, and every you you are completely aware of everything going on around you. That's what you're capable of, and so it's like exercising a muscle. If you practice being more fully conscious, and we'll talk about how to do that. I mean, I can say just go home and practice being more fully conscious. I'm show you how to do that. But if you do that, then just as a muscle gets stronger, so will your conscious awareness. You will have, in, in any given moment, you will have more conscious capacity than you would have in the past. Even when you're tired or sick, you'll have more power of consciousness than, than uh, you ordinarily would. So consciousness would be the combination of the attention and the peripheral awareness? Well, consciousness, you know, we could talk a lot about what consciousness is, but uh, without trying to define consciousness, consciousness is manifesting in these two forms, okay? Mm -hmm. And so, whether you think of it as having more of it, or of it being more powerful, or whatever, however you want to think of it, the effect is that you can put more consciousness into the focus of attention while simultaneously having more consciousness available for peripheral awareness. That's, that's the end result. If there's more of it, these two different ways of knowing, instead of as one increases, the other decreases, you know, you're starting somewhere up here, and there may still be trade-offs, but mm -hmm. uh, you, you never get to quite the situation that that you would otherwise. Does that make sense? Somewhat. Somewhat, yeah. Uh, well, let's take a break and we'll try to, let's, we'll, we'll talk about that more and try to get that clearer because, uh, yeah, that's an important thing.